Hello and welcome to Switzer Investing. I'm Peter Switzer and tonight's show is the start of something new, but it's really something old. As of this Thursday and with future Thursdays, there's a new format for this program, which is based on my old Sky Business Switzer show, which concluded a couple of years ago when they closed the Sky Business channel. That means we'll always start with stocks and the ones that really look hot and the ones that don't. To do that, we'll start with Michael Wayne from Medallion Financial Group, who will look at tech stocks currently not booming. Mike's a really smart guy. I think you'll find his insights very, very interesting. We then get an overall market perspective from someone really smart. And so I talked to Coolabar Capital's chief economist, Kieran Davies, who this week warned of a 10% correction of the stock market. I test out this scary argument with Kieran himself. And then I look at bricks and mortar and try to get a true understanding of what's going on in the property market with the CEO of Aussie Home Loans, James Simon, who as a 19-year-old with his uncle, John Simon, was the first employee at Aussie in the early 1990s. So James really has seen it all. So let's kick off with the hot stock tips from Michael Wayne. Well, joining me now is Michael Wayne from the Medallion Financial Group, mate. Great to see you. Good to be here. Now, I, I brought you in because I want to talk to you about a number of stocks. Um, and a lot of these are in the digital space. And I was listening to uh, one of the fund managers from WCM, which is a, a very successful American fund manager that's listed on the Australian stock market. And I have some close connections to that organisation. We, um, we have some clients in there as well for some international exposure yeah. through the listed uh, ETF, which has been a very good performance. Yeah. So. They're, they're, they're very smart guys. I mean, one of those guys were being interviewed at a conference I was at yesterday. And one of the things he, he said, which I instantly put into an email and sent to myself was, he said that digitisation is in its infancy. And that, that kind of staggered me because the, the standout businesses of the world in recent times yeah. have been digital businesses, but a lot of the small ones coming through, they're digital as well. But you're saying it's still in its infancy. Well, I mean, everyone thinks our oh, tech's been around, the internet's been around for 20, 30 years mm. now, so the tech sector must be getting more mature, but it couldn't be further from the case. Mm. Um, it's such an, a rapidly evolving sector mm. um, that there's always new businesses emerging that come and take over the competitive position of many of the large established businesses. Yeah. So if you're not progressing and you're not evolving your business, then you're going to be left behind. And, and nothing says that more so than the tech space. Yeah, and I think I think some people who might have invested in some digital businesses and they haven't seen the, the, the share price take off and they might get out, they may well be getting out too early yeah. um, because they because you know, maybe there's a, like a rotation effect against tech stocks. And we'll talk about that yeah. in a moment. So let's just run through some stocks that you know a lot of our people have been interested in and I've been interested in. And one I think you introduced to me was Megaport, MP1. Now, how is it going? We, we interviewed Bev, Bevan Slattery, which made me agree with you that this company has a future. Yeah. But what's the current take on it? Look, this is a business we've held for a while, um, ever since it was around sort of two fifty, three dollars and it's been a great performance. So you're a genius, so picking it early. At the, okay. Look, at the moment, who knows the way it's been performing the last yeah. few weeks, it's yeah. come back to the field a fair bit. But it's definitely one of those businesses that was a beneficiary of COVID. Mm. Um, it's involved in data and essentially allowing businesses to access and store data whenever they need it mm. on demand and to different volumes and different scales. Yeah. The example that Slattery used with me was, imagine the VRC around Melbourne Cup time. They need a really massive capacity website because the interest is huge, but for the rest of the year, they wouldn't That's need it. it. So they would then go to a company like Megaport and get the extra capacity, and when the time's over, 
They don't need that's to use right. It. So it's elastic connectivity. I think oh, the company gee, puts it technical. down to. Yeah, yeah. It's a difficult one to explain sometimes, but a clear beneficiary of COVID. Everyone was sitting at home, using more and more data, mm. um, and that I think is a trend that's only going to continue over time. Mm. Um, but it's a company that has come under a bit of pressure recently, as I touched upon. A lot, I think, just due to the fact that the numbers that were cycled through in the most recent report weren't very good in terms of the growth numbers. It's because they had such a, a boom half six months ago when yeah. we were going through the worst. It's hard COVID. to reproduce growth like exactly. that. Exactly. So I think we'll cycle through that and the numbers will start to pick up again. They're profitable across all aspects of their business, Europe, US, another aspect as well. Um, they're expected to be profitable for the first time ever across the business this coming June when they mm. report their numbers. And so the market will probably like that. That's right. So concerned. it's delivering on what they said. Mm. Um, they've obviously invested a lot in growth in recent years, sacrificed profitability, but now they're transitioning to a more mature mm. business that's actually putting runs on the board. So the outlook for this company I think is good. Mm. And the recent pullback I think has been a bit overdone. So I'd be tempted to to put my toe into the water if I didn't already hold Megaport. Yeah, and, and, and an interesting point which I'm going to make with a lot of these companies is that when we get clo closer to business normal, yeah. yeah, a lot of CFOs will start saying yes when for the last 12 months they've been saying no. Because I mean, they had to contain their costs. They had to actually reduce their expenses because their revenue was coming down. So it's going to be interesting to see how that goes. The next one is a company that killed them the day it listed Newix. Mm -hmm. Now this is once again data, yeah. sort of, and now it's felt fallen back below its listed yeah. price. What's your view on Newix? Yeah, this is one that took off and it's an interesting business. So basically they've got some technology or some software which is able to scour through reams and reams of paper trails mm. um, and data. So and companies like, like groups like ASIC and all those That's right. regulators will love it. Royal Commissions, um, mm. Panama Papers, if you're a journalist, you mm. want to you know, go through this enormous amount of documentation rather than the old fashioned flicking through the papers. And thinking. Yeah, and <laughs> thinking. The software will sort of extract the most common threads mm. or the parameters that you actually set for it. So yep. great technology can be used across a lot of different businesses, across a lot of different industries. Uh, the problem that this company had was that they listed on such high hopes, but when they delivered their first set of numbers the other day, they missed their prospectus expectations. And that's mm. why you saw the enormous fall in the share price. It has picked up a little bit now, and potentially it is a chance for those that couldn't get in at the IPO to jump in because they, the, the numbers still look quite good for them in terms of new customers. They operate across a number of different countries, across a number of different businesses. So it's a company I think will have a decent future. Yeah. I wouldn't be tempted to jump in now just because I'd want to see them hit some numbers and do as they say. They have provided guidance. So, so the thrill seeker might buy now. That's right. The more cautious investor might say, let's just see a bit. Yeah, of a I mean, win. it's not a company with a big track record, so yeah. they haven't got the, the reputation and the runs on the board yet. Yeah. So they have set guidance for the, the full year. Um, if they hit that guidance, it shows that management are able to do as they say, and then I'll be tempted to have a look then. But for now, I'll just put it on my watch list because it is quite interesting technology. Okay. Another company you introduced me to is Elmo Software yeah. with the, the greatest ticker code of all time, ELO. What a group, <laughs> what a group. Um, okay, maybe I'm showing my age. Um, now, the market doesn't seem to, to love the company as much as the, the one analyst that yeah. really watches it. And if you believe that analyst, uh, and I, I, I put my money in, so I'm <laughs> hoping this analyst is right, um, he thinks it's like 85% upside yeah. or something like that. But you, you, you've watched the company pretty closely. What do you think? Yes, I think Morgan Stanley's got the $9.70 Love Morgan target. Stanley. They're right. Um, and I think they've been onto it longer than I have. But mm. 
it's been frustrating because they continue to deliver some pretty good numbers, but mm. they've been range bound now for three years with a downside around sort of $5 where it is now mm. and an upside of $8. Mm. And it's never been able quite to break through. They've been mm. bolting on a lot of different acquisitions, so they're increasing their footprint. Yep. Uh, they've increased the number of modules that they've got available to different customers. Uh, their headline numbers, all the key things that you look for in a sort of tech business, you know, retention ratios and, mm. and good. margins and revenue growth have mm. all been very, very good. But for whatever reason, the market hasn't jumped on mm. to the, the full extent that we would want to at this point. Yeah. Um, it trades on about nine times revenue, which isn't that expensive for these growth tech companies. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Zero's up around 25 times revenue, for instance, mm. and growing it's a bit slower than Elmo's. So there is potentially value there to be unlocked. It's been a... a a frustrating ride, but I think it's a good business that has a, a good future if they can continue to deliver some good numbers. Mm. One thing that might have set the market back with the recent update was that they gave a pretty wide guidance range, mm. I think between 10 and 19% growth or something. Mm. And that might have frustrated a few people in the market, but now they're cycling again through these weaker COVID period, which did affect their business. As you touched upon, businesses and management were good at saying no over the last yeah, 12 months. But some of the media thinks that this was a company that, that did well during yeah. COVID. But I know the CEO, Danny Ellison, says, no, we, we didn't. Well, like they, they, there's an argument that they got a bit of business because of the migration to the cloud. Mm. But what's happened is they've had a slowdown in the number of new customers signing on, which mm. is expected people defer their decisions. Mm and existing clients weren't spending as much. So average revenue, average recurring revenue per, per customer fell a little bit. But that is clear in my view that the COVID impact that hopefully they'll come out the other side of. So yeah. we still like it. Um, it's at the bottom end of its trading range now, had a bit of a bounce off it the other day. So this is probably the better time to be looking at it in our view anyway. Yeah. I, I tend to think that both Zero and um, Elmo will be beneficiaries as we get more and more into normal business yeah. conditions and business. And also, the fact that people are going to be working from home in the new environment means that maybe businesses need to have more connection to their, their, their staff when they're in That's these right. regional locations or whatever. That's what you would think. HR, software, payroll software, keeping up communications. Expe expense reductions staff. is a new aspect to it too. Um, and, they're, yeah, and they're constantly bolting on new parts of their business. So I think it's worth staying the course, although yeah. it has been a frustrating ride. It's not a blue chip that's in your core of your portfolio, no. but it's a, good, it's a good satellite investment, yeah. I, I suspect, but I could be wrong. All right, let's go to the, a couple of more lot, less digital ones, I guess. Um, uh, first one is Avita. Was it Avita? Yeah, Avita um, is not one that I'm looking at at the moment, mm. but it's uh, involved in sort of um, the skincare yeah. and, and burns victims, treating yeah. burns. I think victims. Dr. Fiona Wood was the, the founder yeah, of it. Yeah, it's an interesting, great technology. I think Polynovo and Avita really emerged after the Bali bombings. So mm. they're good at quality Australian companies which enable burn victims to be treated without taking the old-fashioned skin grafts, which mm. almost caused another wound and another injury, right, which was yeah. secondary, when they used to stretch out the skin, all this gory sort of detail. Yeah. Making me sick, mate. Oh, sorry, I'll move on. But yeah. basically, they've made a, a decent way to treat burn victims. I think that's more of a speculative buy. Yeah. Um, we do have it for some clients, because mm. it has come off a very long way, but and it's the not American, the American analysts seem to like it, don't they? Yeah. yeah well, it's dual listed, actually, I think, mm. in America yeah, and Australia. Australia. So yeah. I think it's got some legs. Uh, but then there's things like... Um, what we quite like at the moment is sort of the recovery in the travel space. So things like Auckland International Airport, Sydney Airport, mm. uh, Webjet, I think as well, mm. looks quite good. You don't think people have missed the boat, or if, you, if they have, it, it might take six months or a year to get another leg up, but they you think there's going to be another leg well, up. You, you've definitely missed the initial moves, mm. but I think now you've sacrificed a bit of a jump for more certainty. So there's a lot more certainty True. now yeah. than when you, if you sort of 
went for a, a dive off the edge early on. When like still, we did here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and it's, look, it's worth it. You've got to balance it out. But I think now there's a lot more clarity around reopening. Domestic yep. openings basically happened. They're talking about travel bubbles with Singapore. I think it's only a matter of time until international travel mm. re-emerges. It might be longer than we all hope. It might be longer than six months. It might be 12, 18 months. But I think there's a clear path now yep. to return. So you like Sydney airports and you like Webjet. And I like Auckland's probably our favourite out of the airports. But yeah. I think Sydney and Auckland are two good quality monopoly infrastructure assets um, that should hopefully recover back towards their pre-COVID levels, which they're still some way off. It's, it's very nice non-discrimination supporting a Kiwi business, mate. <laughs> a lot of people are very proud of you for doing that. All right, last one I'm going to ask you about is something that a lot of people um, thought, this is my great opportunity to eventually buy CSL. Yeah. And it got down as low as about $2.246. Bit of a rebound off that. Is this the, the time to buy for the long-term investor? Look, not we, the short we term, think so. I mean, we've got clients in it for a very long time. have done very well. But we have been putting new clients in since, I think, October, November last year. We put it in our monthly report. It's something that we quite like. Yeah. Um, it's obviously bounced off that originally and has come back to the field. But I think $250 for CSL isn't the worst case. I mean, it's come under pressure because of COVID. Obviously, their plasma collections has been down yep. because people aren't as free and able to move around as they have been. Um, the Aussie dollar's been a headwind for them. But the numbers that they delivered in the, the full year, or sorry, the half year report recently were very, very good, a lot better than expected. Mm. And they continue to tick all the boxes. They continue to be a world leader in blood plasma. Their collection centers are the most dispersed around the world. They can guarantee supply across all the five different blood types when a lot of their competitors can't. Mm. So we'll be using this as a buying opportunity. And right. you've got to remember, <laughs> it looks expensive and often gets lumped together with growth, but mm. They write off a lot of their research and development in the first year, so it actually has the effect of depressing their earnings and inflating their PE. Mm. So a lot of companies spread out their research and development costs over five, ten years. CSL just cop it on the chin initially and it mm. actually depresses earnings. So it's not as expensive as many people often allude to. Okay, one last question without notice. Yeah. Because sometimes people are a little bit critical, but yeah, in the, in the age of social media, everyone wants to be a critic. And we don't look at the stocks you should sell. Have you recently come across a stock that you used to like, yeah. but you've now said, yeah, it's on the outer, I don't want to hold it now? Yeah, so um, let me have a quick think. So gold was something that we've been heavily invested into the last couple of mm. years um, as interest rates came down and mm. then COVID emerged. So things like Northern Star Yeah, resources. a great company, Northern Star, is off the boil. Yeah, yeah, we didn't get out at the top. I think it got up to about $14, $15, but we were selling around sort of 12 1150 for people knocking some very good profits, just mm. as signs emerge that bond yields starting to pick up. Mm. Um, things like Evolution Mining, Saracen, we've sold down. Um, occasionally, though, we have to sort of liquidate positions com completely just because it starts to sort of move against us. I'm just trying to think of one that we've just bailed out. Appen is another one that mm. we've sold out of completely, probably the, the back end of last year. Is that because you think it's going to take a long time for it to, to, to rebound? Well, it just started to get on a pretty negative trend. Mm. Um, I've always been a big belief in Appen that it's, although it's a tech business, it's actually got a lot of, um, it needs a lot of headcount. There's a mm. lot of human involvement. Yeah, it is labor intensive, isn't it? Mm. So it's quite labor intensive and not as scalable <clears throat> as it might seem uh, compared to many other tech names. So once it started to break back below 30, we started to sort of reduce positions. Mm. Um, so that's another example. Sometimes you've got to cut, but we prefer to, to let our winners run mm. and cut the losers early. Mm. Um, because often, you know, you can have nine out of 10 positions up 10%. Mm. If you get one position down 50, 60, 70%, it undoes yeah. almost all that good work. Yeah. So 
prefer to let the winners run and cut the losers early. That's sort of our philosophy. Okay, mate. Well, uh, Michael White, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, now, before, now, before you go, I just realised you're a young person and, <laughs> and, and, and kept, kept the tape rolling, Andre. The fact that I actually have restarted this interview is actually the first time I've ever done it in my whole life. <laughs> but Bitcoin, you're yes. a young person and you are in the investment community. What's your position on Bitcoin? Look, I can't get my head around it, I, I must admit. Mm. Um, if you've done very well out of it, kudos to you. Yeah. But I struggle to pile money into something that I know not that much about. Yeah. Um, the way I look at it is, it's like a currency, a form of currency. Um, would I put a big chunk of my money in the Aussie dollar moving one way or the other, mm. or the direction of the euro moving one way or the other? Yeah. Probably not. I might put a tiny, tiny portion of my wealth in it, but I certainly wouldn't be putting an enormous amount. Because yeah. effectively, you're just betting on a, the direction yeah, of the betting. currency, yeah. except the difference with Bitcoin is, to this point in time, the, the volatility has been enormous. Mm. Something that moves 10, 15% in a day, 30, 40% in a couple of weeks yeah. is not a sound investment, in mm. my opinion. It's more of a, a speculation. Mm. Um, and the uses of Bitcoin to this point in time are still pretty limited and aren't universally adopted. Um, we still price Bitcoin in US dollars. Mm. So it's not a, a currency on its own. It's not like we're pricing a, an Apple iPhone in Bitcoin yet when you go to the shop. Mm. Um, it, so until there's that universal acceptance, I struggle to understand how it can be valued exponentially high. You've never seen a currency just go up indefinitely without enormous no. inflation. We've seen them go down in places like Argentina. That's right, <laughs> that's right. Okay, but, yeah. that's, uh, it's good to see a young person who thinks like an old person. <laughs> that's uh, Michael Wayne from Medallion Financial. Well, earlier this week, uh, kind of a controversial suggestion was put forward by Kieran Davies uh, from Coolabar Capital. Kieran's a a well-known economist and can't be easily ignored. And he's suggesting that there could be a 10% correction in the wings. Let's try and find out why. Kieran, thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks yeah, very much Kieran, for having me. Historically, you haven't been a scary economist. You've always been a very informative uh, and accurate economist. Uh, but this one was you know, uh, an interesting uh, argument. Explain the reasoning behind your suggestion there might be a 10% correction coming. It's just that if you look at the um, uh, the state of the U.S. equity market, uh, prices are very high relative to uh, earnings. Um, this is where you're calculating earnings over the length of the business cycle. So this is a sort of measure of uh, long-term valuation of the stock market. It's at a very high level relative to history, and it's telling you that um, uh, you're at risk of a uh, substantial period of, uh, of uh, equity market underperformance, mm. or you know, uh, you could even see that in a, in a all in one go in a sharp now, correction. You, this is this sort of thinking comes from something which most of our uh, viewers wouldn't know. Um, something called is it a Cape ratio? Yeah, so um, it sort of first came to prominence back in the late '90s when you had the tech boom than the tech bust in, in the share market in the US. And uh, an academic put together the idea that you, uh, instead of relying on um, earnings uh, at the, as they are at the moment, or forecast earnings, given it's really difficult for analysts to forecast uh, what happens to a, a company's earnings, 
why not use the average of the, the past 10 years? Um, and so that measure, a cyclically adjusted price to earnings ratio, sort of uh, awkward jargon, um, it's uh, at a very high level at the moment because prices have gone uh, uh, way higher than what, um, yeah. what earnings are. And have. so when I read, read this, I said, yeah, well, yeah, that gives theoretical um, muscle to people out there saying this market needs a, to be, you know, at least a pullback because of the, the way the tech stocks have put, pushed the S&P 500 up in particular. But I also then had this um, strange thought, which is strange because you and I have never lived through a period where interest rates are so historically low. So when I looked at things like the CAPE ratio, that made a lot more sense during the dot-com bus boom period because interest rates were kind of where they should be. If you had to find a reason for disagreeing with yourself with this historically low level of interest rates and this unbelievable, in a sense, uh, agreement by all central banks to keep interest rates unbelievably low until 2023 at least, could this be something that could make you end up being wrong? You know, I think that's the, the, the best argument against uh, this sort of warning is the low level of interest rates. As you say, uh, no one's ever really experienced uh, rates to be uh, so close to zero uh, here in the US and in pretty much every Western country. And so um, that would tell you that I think that the, you know, it may be some time before you get the equity market under performance. Um, of course, uh, the thing to keep in mind when uh, when these sort of ratios were developed, they're not meant to give you a, a, a short-term signal on whether the market's going to go down. Uh, what it tells you is just more fundamentally uh, over the medium to long term, there's a higher risk that the equity market just won't do as well. The case that you've got at the moment where interest rates are so low, and as you say, central banks are telling the market they're going to stay low, for you know, two or three years, that may delay yeah. the correction. So that would be an area where uh, this, this could be uh, take more time. I think people like us have always suspected that central bankers do conspire at times, but they've, they've never been so public about it, have they? And I can understand why they're doing it, but I've never seen that before. Yeah, no, I think they're boxed in a corner. Um, you know, if, if interest rates were at a much higher level, the standard response uh, for the, the pandemic would have been just to slash them. But interest rates were already close to zero in lots of countries uh, heading into uh, um, COVID-19. So they've really been um, in a position where they're not only going to have to keep rates lower for longer, but they've been forced to do things that uh, like locally uh, buy bonds, which the central bank historically... Okay, so let's just finally throw in um, A, the unbelievably good uh, unemployment and employment number in Australia today. Um, the fact that the Fed is predicting the US economy is going to grow by 6.5% this year. Um, it's, it's looking like an extraordinary period of growth. When you add that unbelievably low level of interest rate, this unbelievable growth scenario, you can see why the stock market's going up. But I'd love to throw one last question at you. Do you think in your heart of heart, if economists can have a heart, 
and me being an economist, I know we do, despite people not thinking we do. Uh, do you think it's going to be very hard for central banks to keep interest rates where they are beyond 2022? Um, yeah. Yeah, it's always uh, difficult to know that far in the future. I think even the central banks would admit it. But the challenge they've got is, is that they really want to get back to what they think of as full employment. So they want to get unemployment as low as possible. Uh, so we've had really good news on the economy, both here and in the US. As you say, in the US, growth is going to be turbocharged uh, by the Biden administration's fiscal stimulus. But you know, if you think here, uh, the Reserve Bank is wanting to get unemployment to the low fours and, and maybe into the threes. So they've still got a long way ahead of them because what they want to do is uh, both here and abroad is get back to uh, solid, strong mm. wage growth. And that we haven't seen that uh, for quite a long mm. time. Interesting times, Kieran. Thanks for joining us, mate. Thank you. Well, if one guy understands the housing market better than most in this country would be James Simon, the CEO of Aussie Home Loans. James, thanks for joining us. Welcome, Peter. Good to see you again. Mate, let's just start off by getting your take on what you're seeing in the housing market, because you've been in, in it, I would say, since the early 1990s, and it could have been earlier, but that's when I identify you and your Uncle John when they started Aussie Home Loans together. So what are you seeing in the housing market now? Yeah, certainly. I mean, and, and you're right. I mean, since 19 years of age, I've been doing what I've been doing. And certainly we've seen various times real estate go for a bit of a boom and real estate obviously slow down and, and get a lot softer. We are going through a time across the country where residential real estate is, is, is very strong. And this is everywhere as a general rule. And we are seeing increases in real estate prices anywhere from 5% to 30% in one year, mm. we are seeing lending. You know, we're having our biggest months ever in terms of our lending output. And most of our competitors are exactly the same. So this is a marketplace thing. So we've certainly seen a very robust and buoyant real estate market. Mm. Were you scared in March and April of last year? Look, I think anyone who says in March or April that they were a cool cucumber is lying. Mm. You know, March and April were scary times. I mean, the world was was going to hell in a handbasket. So it's uh, uh, the, 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 the turnaround since then is extraordinary. And we had like March, April, May, yet they were, they were slower months. And then we started seeing June and July and August, and it just kept hotting up because mums and dads, they had so much surplus cash. They weren't going on holidays. Interest rates were as low as they've ever been. There's just so much money's out there from a government perspective to help first home buyers into the marketplace. It was, it's just considered safe. So the residential real estate marketplace in Australia, uh, driven by low interest rates and driven by an economy that wasn't decimated as much as we thought it perhaps might've been, uh, is in great condition. Now, in your, your long stretch, uh, nearing 30 years in this market, um, like me, you've seen and listened to and probably respected a, a hell of a lot of central bank bosses in your time. And we've often speculated about whether they're right on interest rates or wrong on interest rates. And I remember personally giving Glenn Stevens 
uh, a real bagging, which I didn't like because I, I liked Glenn Stevens, but I thought he was wrong when he had interest rates too high for too long there. Yeah, yeah. yeah and I, I think you might remember the time. Um, mm -hmm. And in fact, it was a rare time where I was actually, I actually bit Chris Joy in an argument on interest rates, and he concedes that. Yeah. Chris will actually concede. Yeah. But are you surprised that uh, Dr. Phil Lowe is talking about interest rates being where they are now, cash rate, as long as into 2024? And do you think he might have to back away from that belief? Look, you know, am I surprised? No. Am I surprised he called it and he basically put a stake in the ground of 2024? Yes, I am. So do I think low interest rates will stay low for a very long time? Absolutely. Um, how do you pick it? How do you go 24, 25, 23? How do you pick that? So in terms of low interest rates for a very long time, we subscribe to that argument. But is it 24? Is it 23? Is it 25? Um, you know, the economy's bouncing back far better, as the Treasurer would say, than predicted. Um, once we start getting some inflationary moves, um, once wages start to increase, and inevitably they will, you know, then obviously that will put some some pressure on interest rates being tickled up. Yeah. But nevertheless, even if, if, if interest rates do go up, which inevitably they will at some time, um, you know, it, we believe it'll only go up in a minor way, not a major way. Yeah. I know you're not an economist, and I've never really checked your university qualifications. No, I'll leave that to okay. you. But, but in a sense, the nature of your business is that you have to try and get some real-world feeling for what's going on out there. Um, mm. And are you, uh, like me, thinking, this could be uh, an unbelievable big boom for at least the next two years? So, you know, we have a pipeline that's huge. We know the customer sentiment of whom we deal with. Um, and I think this calendar year is going to keep on keeping on. You know, we are, you know, we haven't seen anything yet from the beginning of the year to the end of the year, we will see stronger real estate prices subject to not coming, copying some sort of, you know, extra COVID missile or what have you. Um, and next year, let's just see. I mean, anyone who can predict the future any more than six or 12 months are a better person than I am. These people who can come up with two or three or four year prediction, predictions in this marketplace, uh, you know, good luck. Yeah. And so let's talk about Aussie itself. Um, so nowadays, you know, what is the, the ownership structure of Aussie home loans? Look, at the moment, it's still business as usual. Um, as you know, that uh, uh, we've merged with a company called Lendy. Uh, Lendy is very much a technology business, a technology mortgage business, uh, who are a leader in their sector. Um, and hopefully that will give us a huge bump from a technology point of view into the future in terms of our brokers, our customers, and just the way that we do business. Technology is front and center in most things that a mortgage broker does. Still a face-to-face -face business as far as we are concerned, but the technology is by your side. Uh, we could either spend a zillion dollars in investing in technology and a zillion years, or we could do something like this and merge with a, a quality business like Lendy um, and, uh, and hopefully grab some of the great stuff in which they're doing. So is the model now then you've got the face-to-face -face brokers that will you know, talk to customers who want to do that, but you've also got the other alternative business model for those who just want to do it online? 
Sure. I mean, I don't think it's as clear as that because what Lendy should have to offer Aussie and our brokers and our customers is better tools for our thousand odd brokers at 220 odd stores to actually interact with their customers. So it's not just as clear as, well, you've done a, you've merged with Lendy and therefore you've got face-to-face and stores and bricks and mortar uh, distribution as well as digital distribution. Sure, that is, that is, that is clear, um, but it's also the technology that my brokers, it's the technology that our customers uh, can can receive in order to better apply for a home loan to better do business with Aussie. Okay. Now, this is a question I ask some people and they always run away from it, but I know you're so courageous. Uh, here we go. I'm, I'm waiting. I'm waiting. <laughs> so, here we go. So is there a time down the track where we might see an Aussie home loan listed on the Australian Stock Exchange? Oh, look, uh, run away. <laughs> right. Because uh, I really don't have the answer to that. I really don't have the answer to that. I mean, you know, I, I think that there, there, there perhaps may be a logicality to it, but I can't speak to that at all. Yeah. So you'd have to uh, you'd have to ask CBA. That that's above my pay grade. <laughs> it certainly is a, is a question a lot of people are thinking. And uh, yeah, and um, we know a pretty good CEO who could could head up that company as well. Yeah, well, I, I'm doing my best, Peter. I'm doing my best. I mean, we've had, uh, you know, we've had a stellar 12 months. I mean, from a recruitment point of view with our brokers, from our sales point of view, we've never been in a better position, Peter, than we are today. And we're really proud to be that way. And, and one final question. What has been the success of mortgage brokers when it comes to writing of loans? Like who writes the most loans out there? Is it mortgage brokers or is it the, the staff that work inside banks? Sure. I mean, I think the latest facts that 60% of all mortgage flows go through mortgage brokers. Mm. So six in, an every, six in every 10 customers out there in Australia are using a mortgage broker for their home loan needs, not going directly to a bank or lender. And we have a view, I have a personal view over the next five years that that will go to 70% plus. Okay. You know, mortgage broking is something that's very consumer driven. And once a consumer has a taste of that and the flexibility and uh, just what he's on offer with a mortgage broker versus going directly to bank, to bank, to bank, consumers come back time and time again. And James, you're, um, you're not quite that old enough that you could forget the, the amount of bad publicity that brokers used to get uh, mm -hmm. from you know, some of the, the major media outlets of this country who I presume would have had the stories fed by your rivals. Um, it's quite extraordinary how mortgage brokers have actually proved those people wrong by actually just doing it right. You know, mortgage brokerage brokers are driven by consumer satisfaction full stop. You know, we have grown because consumers have wanted us to grow. And I think that speaks for itself. And, uh, you know, the good news stories with mortgage brokers um, looking after their customers massively outweighs any one or two negative stories that you get every every now and again, unfortunately. So it's an industry that we're very proud to be in. It's an industry that is still growing very strongly. It's an industry that has really professionalized themselves over the last 10 and 15 years. And there's still somewhere to go, but we're very proud to be on the journey with the industry. And I, I must admit, as I, I even listen to my own question, I do remember the time when there were part-time mortgage brokers who were panel beaters and magicians and all that sort of stuff. That's, we've been, we've seen it all. It, it certainly has changed over time, hasn't it? 
Absolutely. So it's a, it's a wonderful industry to be in. And from a consumer's perspective, why would you go directly to the lender when you can go to a mortgage broker and have a whole array of products at your, at your, uh, at your fingertips? Yeah. James Simon, thanks for joining us and good luck, mate. Thank you, Peter. Bye-bye.